0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording and lines are now closed.
1: In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. Dear listeners, you are listening to another episode of The Breakfast Show, broadcasting from the biggest mosque, the Battle of Futu Mosque. The time is 11 past 7. My name is Shah Al Ahmed. And dear listeners, as you know, the voice of Islam radio is, uh, not trying, but is definitely showing the truth of Islam. And it's also th- showing how Muslim here in the Western society can integrate with their faith, uh, in this society. And dear listeners, um, in this sh- breakfast show, as you know, we have always prepared two topics, um, which we discuss, where we discuss current issues from the Islamic perspective as well. And also today, we have two um, topics prepared. Segment one will be hundreds of life in jeopardy as Al-Shifa Hospital faces catastrophic conditions. Um, we will have, therefore, one pre-recording interview with Dr. Aziz, uh, with Ms. Atahir Ahmed. And uh, then we will have one another interview with Dr. Aziz Ahmed Hafiz. Both are workers or volunteers of the Humanity First um, organization. And after the, news, the 8 o'clock news break, the listeners, we will start with our second segment, which is why the homeless make use of tents. And Therefore, we will have Liz Rutherford and Andrew Connell as guests as well. And the uh, listeners, as I said, we will discuss current issues from the Islamic perspective, and we have prepared Islamic perspective as well for both topics. Um, the only thing I want you is that if you want to contribute in the show, if you want to add something which you think is very necessary, you can do so. The number is zero two eight six eight seven seven eight seven. At or you can go on our socials at Voice of Islam UK. Let us know you thought. Um, let us know what you think about everything. Also, dear listeners. um... Before we start, uh today it's a it's a kind of a historical um day. Um because today the twenty third of November and uh, this is this uh, this date is basically celebrated in America and Canada or known as the Thanksgiving Day. As you know this is the national holiday in the US and Canada and uh, it basically celebrates the harvest and blessings of the past year. It started in 1621, um, the Plymouth colonists from England and the Native American Wampanoag people shared an autumn harvest feast that is acknowledged as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations in the colonies. Over two centuries, dear listener, Thanksgiving was celebrated by individual colonies and states, and it wasn't until 1863 In the midst of civil war, President Abraham Lincoln set it as a national Thanksgiving day to be held each November. Now, there is some controversy on the holiday, and many Americans and Native Americans believe Thanksgiving covers the true history of oppression and bloodshed that underlies the relationship between European settlers and Native Americans. And, you know, like, to be honest, the the first time I came to know about Thanksgiving is from... um, Mainly from the mainstream movies we have seen, um, and I know how to celebrate. if that uh, it? It concludes like traditional food. We know that the turkey is uh, cooked for them, um, and which is prepared not for for the whole entire family, and not even turkey, but also like um, sweet potatoes, cornbread, mashed potatoes, cr- cranberry sauce uh, are prepared as well. And pie is also served at the. In- End of the meal. Now, the importance is of that whole event is to show gratitude to the society, and, and it is also important to have like family gathering and sit together with your neighbors, with people from like different backgrounds, and just have fun, just to listen to each other. And you know, the listeners, um, the reason I just said that is because, um, as I said, I've never celebrated the same feeling, but I have many, many times. And even the Holy Quran speaks about it. That, uh, that invite your guests, have a have your family over, or your neighbors, anyone, you know, and just sit with them, eat with them, just be thankful to God the Almighty that He has given us the opportunity. Yes, He has given us the opportunity to eat again, uh, to enjoy the food He has basically blessed us with. Um, As I said that um, in the Holy Quran, Allah speaks about being grateful for that. Um, For example, in chapter thirty-nine, verse sixty-seven, Allah says, "Worship God and be thankful to Him." Right. So, in one matter, He basically says, "Listen, uh, worship Me. Yes, Uh, ask Me for more." And we are also grateful for those things I have provided for. You know, for example, food and every all these things, necessary things like water. is sometimes provided by by God. Even we didn't even ask for that. And God Almighty already gave us these things. So we should be very grateful for that. And even the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he has sought us these things as well. To be grateful is that if you are not thankful to people, then you are not thankful to God. So... Here, this is very very amazing. This is basically that we show gratitude to our our fellow brethren by way of community service, by paired with prayers. And, you know, as a true Muslim, uh, we do that. Like, we serve mankind only to please God. Yes, we don't ask for um, any reward. Now the only thing is we just want to make God happy, and that is the biggest reward we can actually achieve as Muslims. So yeah, Muslims basically do celebrate Thanksgiving, but they celebrate it in another way. And of course, you need to remember these things. They they were uh, they were basically presented by the world many many hundred years ago before Thanksgiving even started in America. So you can say that. Islam basically gave guidance to that and talked, uh, uh, told us, and explained us why it's important that we sit together with people and we celebrate Thanksgiving giving as well, and why it is important that we share food with other with the other people as well. You know, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, he has said once that if you cook the meal, then double the amount of the food as well, that so that can share, that you can share it with your neighbor. So this is, you know, this is Islam basically. You know, um. Islam is reminding you to be grateful, but Islam is also reminding you to serve us to so you follow human beings as well and to show great, uh, gratitude towards Allah as well. So, dear listeners, I just wanted to mention that as well. Uh, those who are celebrating Thanksgiving in America and in Canada do enjoy the time with your family and friends as well. Uh, and uh, also, yeah, be grateful for everything God has provided for you. Uh, dear listeners, um, coming to... The news now. Um, I don't know if you have uh, had a look on the papers. Um, mostly uh, what I've seen now oh, is that the Daily Mail and the Telegraph, for example, both held what they called the biggest tax cuts sorry, tax cuts since the 1980s. Now, the mail's headline at, let's hope it. Just the start. It says the Chancellor defied gloomy predictions by cutting two a uh, pants of national insurance, which is believed it's setting the sense of a for tax and spent battle with labor at the next election. The telegraph says the reaction of conservative MPs was to cheer the good start and to call for more before the next election. It associated its associate editor, Camilla Tomini, says cutting national insurance was the rabbit pulled from the head. As Mr. Hunt, he tried to cast a new spell over the electric, electorate. Particularly politically, she says, this mini-budget was an impressive feat. And also the Times front page declares Hunt's eases tax burden in contrast to the Financial Times which says tax burden search dispute Hunt's cuts. The Financial Times explained that personal and business taxes have been reduced but overall taxation is still rising to a post-Second World War High. It says the Budget Watchdog, the Office for Budget Responsibility, shed a harsh light on the Chancellor's plans, saying it would be a modest boost to growth and see the tax burden rise for the next five years. The Economist calls it a pre-election giveaway by the Chancellor offering tax cuts and what is what it calls an ugly future for public services. Questions Mr. Hunt's assertion that lower f- inflation has given him the space to cut taxes, arguing the space has actually come from higher inflation. The Guardian also sees the statement measures as moving the toys into an election footing, fueling speculation about a, snap g- about a snap general election in the spring. It agrees with the Economist that the bigger than that the bigger than expected tax cuts will be paid. For by a fresh squeeze on public spending. It sees the rise in state benefits and pensions as a clear sign the government is trying to win votes. The paper's leader article says this Tory Poor rich tax giveaway is paid for the bankrupting the state. A champagne cork is pictured popping on the front of the sun. The January date, the national insurance Court kicks on for 70 million workers, and the freeze on all coal duty. Exp- Inspires its headline. New Year's Wahey for the Daily Mirror. The autumn statement is less about Fizz and more about Swizz. It says millions of people will be worse of despite paying less national insurance. It points to economic growth forecasts and have been held and predictions that inflation will fall more slowly than previously expected. It headlines asks to do they take us all for fools. So, the Listeners... These are the headlines on the papers. If you haven't read the papers, I just gave a brief summary. What is basically the headlines of it? Um, the listeners, of course. Um, just w- I want to say one thing. When you are listening to breakfast show, as the name is already saying, have your breakfast prepared as well because breakfast is the important, the most important meal on the day. So don't miss it. Um, we go, we will go now for a short break, and after that short break, we will start straight with our first segment. Which is, uh, as introduced before, that hundreds of lives in Chabadi, as Al Shifa Hospital faces catastrophic conditions. So do do me a favor, dear listeners, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam Radio.
0: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
1: In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, merciful dear listeners, welcome back to Voice of Islam. You're listening to another episode of Breakfast Show and uh, we will start now with the first segment, uh, which is Um, about the Al-Shif hospital in Gaza. We will discuss uh, that, as you know, hundreds of lives in jeopardy as Al-Shif hospital faces catastrophic conditions. We will discuss about Islamic perspective as well, about what Islam says to safeguard lives as well, and what the Holy Prophet has tried and how he tried to maintain peace in the society and what guidance he gave so we can... um, Maintain peace in for the whole world Dear listeners um, If you want to add anything Which you think is very important to listen to Which you think is a very good message for the whole world Then you can call in anytime The number is 0208-687-7878 Or you can go on our, on our socials At Voice of Islam UK um, Meanwhile I just read out the gist of the story So as you know on a Sunday The 12th of November Muhammad Abu Salma The director of Al-Shifa Hospital which was once of the largest medical complex and central hospital in Gaza Strip, located in the neighborhood of northern Rimal in Gaza City, revealed the dire situation as the medical complex faced isolation with power outages, putting the lives of tens of thousands of wounded and displaced individuals at risk. The critical power failure l- led to the death of at least one premature baby. This is uh, a report from the 12th of November, but we know that this has led to more than one premature baby. The deaths have led to more than just one premature baby. Uh, and with uh, medical staff desperately maintaining the other through manual artificial re- respiration, amid the ongoing crisis, his holiness, has been in the same but continues to emphasize the urgent need for world leaders to courageously pursue a ceasefire, warning of the impending destruction of this action is not taking his holiness again reminded us to continue praying for the people of palestine now you see that the holy his holiness uh, almost it's like almost 20 years since 2004 he is reminding the people is basically um m- telling the world that we are going towards a big destruction and we should start listening to the words of his holiness as well he has man- reminded them many many times uh, as well um the recent uh, power outage at Al-Shifa Hospital has plunged the medical complex into a state of crisis. You know, because of the raid hospital uh, which was done by uh, the by the IDF, um it, uh, went to, uh, to even a bigger crisis uh, with far-reaching implications for the lives of tens of thousands of wounded and displaced individuals. Now this unfortunate incident has not only isolated the hospital but also posed a severe threat to the health and well-being of those who depend on its services. So, dear listeners, you know, um, since this conflict about Hamas and Israel, and do be, I just want to make it clear again that whatever Hamas has done, I condemn that. It is against Islamic teachings. But recently, we have seen the rise of Islamophobia here in the West as well. Uh, we have seen the rise of anti-Semitic actions as well, unfortunately. But also, we need to remember that it's not just the youth. Also, Muslims are infected as well. As I said, Islamophobia is rising again. People have, again, those especially those far-right people, or those people who are uneducated about Islamic teachings, again are coming out and saying that Islam is a religion of war and terror. Which is not, and that's why, to your listeners, I will include the Islamic perspective as well, so we can make sure that Islam is basically a peaceful and beautiful religion. Now, uh, the deputy faced by tens of thousands of have wounded and displaced individuals and cannot be overstated. Without consistent power, life-saving equipment, such as ventilators, incubators, and other critical machinery, becomes inoperable. Imp- putting the lives of patients at imminent risk. Now, the situation demands urgent attention to prevent further loss of life. So, the listeners, you know, um, Islam is a religion of guidance. And it has set uh, laws to follow. And in Islam, the listeners, the loss of one innocent life is the loss of all humanity. Yes, I'm, talk- no, I'm talking about anyone. Is it a Muslim or not? Is it a Christian or not? Is it a Jew or not? Is it someone who believes in God or not? Doesn't matter. It is if that individual is innocent and if he's dying, then the whole humanity will die. This is what it means to lose a life uh, in Islam. Uh, this is what this is what Islam has basically explained. You know, you can't take lives of a premature baby. You can't take life of anything. Woman, man, children. Elderly person, Islam is against that, uh, and uh, this concept of collateral damage. There is basi- basically there is no concept of collateral damage in Islam. The Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi has told us that maintaining the life of an innocent person in during war is very important, and no one who has nothing to do with the war should not be interf- should not be included into that war as well. So. Just to put it simple, if Hamas and Israel, if they have like some dispute, then please book a room. Yes, do whatever you want in that room, but leave the innocent people, leave them alone, leave them, leave them, just leave uh, leave them alone and don't harm them. This is what basically Islam says, you know, Islam places a profound emphasis on preserving life and the power outage that isolates a crucial medical facility like the al-Shif hospital, where numerous lives are at stake, contradicts the Islamic principles of prioritizing the well-being of individuals. So, Hamas and IDF, as I said, if you want to kill each other, yes, this is a conflict between these two parties, yes, then just go and book a book uh, book a hotel, book a room, be there, but do whatever you want, but leave the innocent people alive. They have nothing to do with this conflict. The chronic verse, and kill not the soul which Allah has forbidden, save for a just cause. This verse, the declares, it is unlawful to kill a soul, the killing of which has been forbidden by God. He also says, "Say, come, I will rehearse to you what your Lord has forbidden, that you associate not anything as partners with Him, and that y- that you do not that you do good to parents, and that you will kill not your children for fear of poverty." It is he who provides for you and for them. And that you approach not full deeds, whether open or secret, and that you cannot the life which Allah has made sacred, safe by right. That is what he has enjoyed upon you that you may understand. Note, dear listener, the injunction requires us to treat our brethren and friends as well as members of our society with fairness and justice. The word killing It will be noted pertains not only to killing, but to an attempt at killing as well as causing serious injury and boycotting, etc. The expression, safe by right, used with regard to killing, means except when a man has made himself deserving or the treatment to be meted out to him. So, uh, and you know, causing harm, especially to innocent children, is deemed morally the principle and is incorrect. You know the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, he warned, do not harm people and do not harm animals lest you face consequences on the day of judgment. He further emphasized that whoever lacks mercy towards the young and fails to honor elders is not part of the righteous community. No, basically not part of the Islamic community because Islam says, listen, you need to be righteous if you want to be recognized in Allah. You yeah, if you want to be recognized by Allah as a Muslim, then, of course, you need to be righteous. So, you see, the listeners, what I'm trying to explain is a life of an innocent person, you know, be it a premature baby, be it an elderly person, a young person, a middle-aged person, it doesn't matter if he's a Muslim or not, that life is very important and very sacred in Islam. And Islam has emphasized that many times. And even the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, has emphasized that as well. He was there when his enemies needed him. And he provided when his enemy asked him. So you you see that he, he was basically a prophet for everyone. And he showed his mercy towards everyone. As I said, he tried everything to maintain peace in the world. And he gave guidance for that as well. So, you know, dear listeners, the tragic consequences of the power failure in the special care baby unit resulting in the deaths of, as I said, of more than, I mean, too too, too many premature babies. It's a tragic, it's a a true tragic. And to think, and you know, to think about that, that premature babies are dying. You know, I've seen the pictures, I've seen the videos. It is so horrific. It is so sad. And um, you know, this is what I think. Where is humanity? Where is, where is the humanity? Where has it gone? That we are allowing premature babies to die. We allowing you know, Islam has said that listen. Premature baby is there to give joy as well, and is there that we can share love as well. Because you know, baby is bringing hope as well. To, in the society, you know, recently I was uh, reading that in um, Japan and, and in Germany, in these two countries, especially, uh, the death—sorry, uh, the birth rate is going down, and the uh, death rate is rising. So you, you can see it is ha- um, what situation they are right now. Um, babies are, you know, giving babies are basically making the first step to embrace life they will have hopes they will have dreams which they want to achieve as well and um uh, it is as i said it is very tragic to see that um innocent people innocent premature babies uh, are putting in risk as well um dr Abu Salma's statement uh depicts this sev- uh, severe challenge faced by healthcare professional and patients alike it has cast a dark shadow leading to heartbreaking consequences including the loss of many, many premature babies and patients. The manual efforts exerted by medical staff to sustain the lives of the remaining infants highlight the critical challenge posed by such unforeseen events. The inability to provide essential medical care, including life support systems and critical interventions, has led to fertility among patients who are already in a critical condition. The absence of water, food, Electricity and internet compound the challenges faced by the medical team. Now, these essential services are the lifeline of any healthcare facility, and the disruption so severely hampers the ability to provide adequate care, monitor patients, and communicate critical information. The power outage not only affects the immediate, immediate medical needs of patients in the hospital, but also raises concern about the continuity of care. Life-saving equipment, medications, and the ability to perform essential medical pr- uh, procedures are compromised, putting the lives of patients at greater risk. Islam encourages providing necessary resources for health care to ensure the protection and preservation of life, dear listener, It also places special emphasis on the protection and care of vulnerable members of society, including infants. The tragic consequences in the hospital reflect the profound Islamic teaching that each life is sacred and the loss of even one innocent life is a significant tragedy. As I said, that the loss of one innocent life is the loss of all, all humanity. This is what Islam says. Now, the efforts of medical staff to sustain these lives align with the Islamic value of compassion and care for the most vulnerable. God says in the Holy Quran, and they feed for love Him, the poor, the orphan, and the prisoners, saying, "We feed you for Allah's pleasure only. We desire no reward nor thanks from you." This is from chapter seventy-six, verse nine to ten. So here, you know, you can see the selfless, selfless nature of a believer who feed the poor, orphan, and the prisoners solely for Allah's pleasure, seeking basically no awards or thanks from those they help this reflects the believer's focus on winning the pleasure of God as the highest ambition with no expectation expectation of personal gain or recognition you know as a muslim this is very important for us we we, we don't want any reward we don't want any gifts we don't we just, the only thing we want is god's pleasure and for god's pleasure a muslim is ready to do everything and as i said god I mean, one attribute of God is Al-Hayy the living so we try to maintain life yes we try to protect life as well for the pleasure of Allah you know uh, as I said many times now in Islam life is sacred because it is one of the greatest gifts and blessings from God every moment of a human being is very vulnerable therefore Islam says appreciate that gift but also d- do protect yours and the life of others as well. You know, Islam is a religion to pe- of peace. And Islam is basically explaining, telling us, you know, life is there to protect as well. Because these people, if they have dreams, they have names. They have um, dreams which they want to be accomplished. And Islam says that you need to uh, remember that and you need to protect these lives. This is what Islam basically is. And this is, you know, again, if I if someone comes to me I, um, and he wants to argue with me that Islam is a religion of terror and war. Dear listeners, it is not. Simply, it is not. Islam has taught us that we need to look after each other. Islam has taught us that if you, if you look for yourself, make sure that you have fulfilled all the needs of your fellow human beings. So, um... This is Islam, dear listeners. This is the true picture of uh, Islam. Um, as you know, the, we have a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Now, considering the challenge faced by medical facilities, the plight of the wounded and displaced, and the urgency of international intervention. Uh, It's huge, and you know, the ongoing conflict has placed an unprecedented strain on medical facilities in Gaza. Hospitals and clinics are grappling with overwhelming caseloads, shortage of essential medical supplies, and challenges in providing adequate care to the injured. Now, the strain on healthcare infrastructure further intensifies with disruption in essential services such as power outage, limiting the capacity to treat patients effectively. The plight of individuals affected by the conflict is huge. You know, the destruction of homes, infrastructure, and overall disruption of normal life. Displaced families face the challenge of finding shelter, assessing basics, basic necessities, and Coping with the with the trauma of the conflict. Now, you know this situation demands urgent international intervention to address the immediate needs of, of the affected population. Humanitarian aid, including medical supplies, food, water, and shelter, is critical, and uh, is very, very, very important. You know, the international community must collaborate to ensure the swift and efficient delivery of, of aid of, to the affected areas. You know, international intervention should prioritise the protection of civilians, including women, children, and vulnerable populations. Effort must be made to create safe zones, ensure the safe passage of aid, and uphold the principle of human rights and international law. You know, His Holiness, dear listener, he spoke spoke about that many times, you know, that we live in an unjust world and... Justice is so important. Justice must be must be prevailed. Um, it is very sad what we see or, uh, in uh, Gaza as well. And the, the situation is very horrific, as I just mentioned before as well. And um, His Holiness, May Allah be saved. He has um, asked for prayers for those Palestinian people who are suffering right now. Uh, and uh, the most important thing is that, uh, that we also contribute. You know, um, Islam. I was just recently watching a video of his holiness, may Allah be but where he explained that prayer alone, offering the five daily prayers alone, is not uh, enough for the uh, to gain Allah's pleasure. Most importantly, what is very important is that we also show or we also serve mankind which is also try to that you should try to serve Allah's creation as well this is the fulfillment uh this is the uh, one requirement to fulfill or to offer the prayers completely with, with all conditions mentioned by Allah and one condition is of course to serve mankind as well um islam speaks about that that when you serve Allah that when you um worship Allah when you listen to his commands, then make sure that you also serve mankind as well. This is uh, so important uh, in Islam as well. Um, <coughs> uh, without that, dear listeners, um, um, without that, dear listeners, um, it is it is important in every religion has. Uh, um, uh that every religion has basically explained that that you should care for your fellow human beings as well um and make sure that you um uh uh that you make sure that you serve them as well um about serving and um about helping mankind as um uh we have a uh someone with us right now who can speak about that as well. who's basically, who served as the chairman of Humanity First UK and who also served as volunteer outreach doctor in rural villages in West Africa through Humanity First. His name is Dr. Aziz Ahmed Hafiz, and he is right now with us online. Uh, Dr. Aziz, uh, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank
0: you for having me on.
1: Um, it is a great pleasure to have you with us right now. Um, I'm, I was talking about Gaza. Uh, and the condition of, about uh, Gaza. Um, I just wanted to know from you that how do you view the crisis of medical support people support people in Gaza are facing?
0: So first of all, thank you for having me on. Obviously, has the humanitarian NGO humanity first serves across the world, and Gaza is uh, one of the worst humanitarian crisis that we have seen for some time. And the medical crisis there is very, very acute, as you all should be well aware. The issue is there is a massive lack of medical supplies, lack of medicines, intravenous medications, anesthetic, and consumables,
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, due to due to the blockade of entry of supplies. And at the same time, health facilities and hospitals have been extensively damaged and effectively. The health system in Gaza has collapsed, uh, for all intents and purposes. So, so that is the harsh reality, sadly, of the the health infrastructure in, in Gaza as, as we speak at the moment.
1: You know, Doctor Aziz, you just mentioned that the health service has collapsed. This is something you don't see in the mainstream media because you know the reports or the media is very biased on on the reports of Gaza. They don't share this with us. And you just said that it has collapsed. So, how, like, this sounds very critical as well. Um, what kind of support can can you do now? Well, can you give them now? Because uh, what can we do, or what can you do as, Humanity, as a member of Humanity First to maintain now the uh, medical uh, situation?
0: So, as, as you will no doubt know, uh, access of humanitarian aid into Gaza... Mm. uh is, is is heavily 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 restricted in fact impossible
1: mm. i mean only
0: only a trickle of the required aid that is normally goes in uh, five to six hundred trucks a day pre-war and we're getting about 10 15 20 uh, a day at the moment uh, so that is causing huge huge issues and probably one of the biggest issues is even when that aid does transfer across the rapid crossing the lack of fuel on the other side is impeding the un trucks to actually take any supplies to take any medical supplies from the crossing across into the depots from where it can be transferred further obviously access into the north is is, is practically zero due due to uh, the the complete collapse system of there mm-hmm. and due to the heavy bombardment so the so the harsh realities harsh realities across the board our access is very limited and access will only start flowing once the war stops and once there is some unhindered humanitarian access. So even though small droplets of supplies are getting it from organisations like ourselves, like others, however, it is it is is next to nothing uh, due to the constraints that everybody can see.
1: So, um, do basically like the, um, the, what I just heard what I just understood is that basically. Um, there is a huge, huge like this is basically a stop sign from uh, for every uh, aid who wants to go to Gaza, who wants to like support uh, uh, Palestinian people over there from the government of Israel. Then, uh, like, they don't I
0: like... I asked you for a second,
1: Dr. Aziz. Sorry, I can't hear you.
0: I think I've lost you there as well. I think the connection is very, very weak.
1: Okay, no worries. Uh, Dr. Aziz, oh, like... I, um, um, I can hear you now. Okay, I can hear you, 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 talk, you were talking about the shortcomings in medical support. Um, and you think saying that there's a blockade as well. Uh, what kind of support is required to resolve these shortcomings?
0: So obviously, number one is we need a stop to the war. We need mm. a ceasefire. Mm. That, that will allow aid to go in. And we need aid to go in unrestricted. Uh, so this is the call of the united nations this is the call of major ngos and this is the call of us as humanity first also uh, that without a ceasefire and without the stopping of the war uh, aid will not get unhindered access and we need that unhindered access to provide medical support to the hospitals or what's left of the hospitals
1: and um doctors is like you know on social media there are some stories being circulated uh, about, around uh, of those brave doctors who stay, put, stay there and they, who put their lives in danger for, for the patients. Now how do, do doctors preserve so much courage?
0: Difficult question. I, I speak to friends and colleagues uh, in Gaza regularly and colleagues working in the hospitals and uh, it is very, very difficult, uh, very, very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, as a doctor, you, 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 you abide by the, the Hippocratic Oath to mm-hmm. serve your patients. Uh, and it, it's not an easy thing. It, it, it's, your, it's your job to provide care. It's your job to provide assistance to you. And, it, and it's not easy uh, to leave your patients. And mm-hmm. you've heard of the stories of very, very brave doctors mm-hmm. uh, that braved the bombardment and have not left their patients to die.
1: It is truly is amazing. I mean, you know, you to be honest, you you people are like you know you, you watch these American movies about the superheroes, right? Who are flying from one corner to the next corner to save people. But in the end, in the real life, uh, if you want to see the real heroes, we can we can see them in Gaza, for example. I just mentioned doctors, your colleagues were working very hard uh, to make sure that people stay safe as well and putting their own life in risk. This is amazing. This is, these are real heroes. But you are a doctor as well, and you, have, um, you went to, to uh, different places in West Africa as well um, uh, uh, because you are um, uh, working for Humanity First as well. Where do you take the motivation of doing such great things? Uh,
0: so thank you for, for that. Obviously, as a, as a volunteer for Humanity First, uh, as an MD Muslim, uh-huh. our ethos is based just on two things. One, to recognize your creator, and the mm-hmm. second is to serve his creation. Mm-hmm. So the motivation is ultimately uh, the serving of the creation, and that's where the motivation comes uh, from, from my faith. Uh, but again, there are many people in Humanity First uh, that do not belong to the Muslim faith, uh, and they will bring their own motivation mm-hmm. into, into their work. But for me personally, my motivation is, as an MD Muslim, to serve humanity as best I can.
1: So you saying that it is basically Islamic religion who has motivated you because you and I the muslim right so the Islamic religion has basically motivated you to serve mankind so that's mean this means basically islam is the religion uh, there to save and help mankind as well because people have you know always thinking that islam is the religion of war and terrorists. terrorists, but it is not what you just said so um, and it, it reminded me of uh, you know, uh, of one of the incidents when the holy prophet even helped one of his fierce enemy, Abu Sufyan, during a time when he was suffering to, uh, from the various difficulties. It is amazing that what you just mentioned, uh, Dr. Aziz. So basically, what I've just heard is that Islam is the religion who is telling you that when you want to um, please Allah, then make sure that you have basically um, safe uh, served His uh, creation as well. This is what uh, I just understood. Abso- uh,
0: no, abso- ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Obviously, as an MD Muslim serving in Humanity First, that is our ultimate uh, objective uh, to to serve His creation. And Humanity First, by God's grace, uh, provides us that vehicle uh, to try and fulfill that to the best part of our ability.
1: But, Dr. Aziz, now I want to serve mankind as well, right? And, but I'm not a member of Humanity First. But I want to support. What is the best thing I can do now?
0: There are many many ways. Um, Currently if you go on our website hfuk.org you will see the varying projects. Currently in the Gaza crisis the number one need that we have is of funding and of uh, uh, fundraising to be able to help those people. So anything that people can donate uh, uh, hfuk.org it will be hugely hugely appreciated. On the back of that we're always in need of volunteers mm. across the United Kingdom and across the world that can help in our varying activities. So there's administrative work, there is finance work, there is ground-level work, there is planning work, there is professional work. Uh, there are many, many, many areas. So there's, there's, there's no shortage of areas to serve. And I would urge everybody to contact us uh, either via our website or email us on volunteer at uk.humanityfirst.org.
1: Amazing, Truly amazing. Dr. Aziz, uh, I pray for you, colleagues in Gaza as well. I pray for you as well and for all those people who are putting their life in risk for the Palestinian people. May Allah protect them and protect their families as well. Um, Dr. Aziz, thank you for joining. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, one day we can have you again on Voice of Islam Radio.
0: God bless you. Thank you for having me
1: on. Thank you. So, dear listeners, you know, just want to highlight one thing. You know, it's amazing what Dr. Aziz is doing and his colleagues are doing over there. We will keep them on our place as well. May Allah save them. But when I asked him what motivates him to serve mankind or to go in these very um, difficult places, he said the only motivation he has is uh, his faith. You know, he says that Allah says, God says that when you worship me, do make sure that you also serve my creation. And this is the best thing, you know, we can hear. You know, this is the motivation we he got, basically, Lord, and this is the motivation I just received as well. Because if I want to please my Lord, which I try every day, then of course it is important for me that I serve mankind as well in the best way uh, possible. Uh, and this is, you know, this is Islam. And as I said, in the beginning, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he was there, maintain peace in society and this is you know this this is the guidance he basically provided to the people as well um that uh you need to if you want to please allah then sure do so but don't forget his creation yeah and it doesn't matter who he is even if he's an enemy you know the best example we have with of the Holy prophet when he basically helped his enemies and he never had any grunge against them so the treatment towards his enemies shows that if you really w- want to be close to God, then show mercy towards Allah's creation as well. And this is w- um, what we just heard from Doctor Aziz as well, and from the wo- uh, volunteers workers from Humanity First as well. And of course, those doctors who are putting their life in risk as well. Dear listeners, um, we are coming you now uh, very close to the hour as well. Uh, we will go for a short break. Um, after the break, we'll be back, and we will have another guest with us as well. Uh, so do me a favor, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam radio, and also make sure that if you have any questions, or if you have any thought you want to share with us, you can do so anytime. The number is 208 or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam. You could let us know your thought. You are
0: listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording and lines
1: are now closed in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful dear listeners welcome back to breakfast show uh just before the break we were basically discussing from the islamic perspective the value of a human being or the life of a human being uh or let's say why um new lives of human beings also sacred in islamic teachings um and why it is so important for as a human being as a muslim that we why it is so important for us that we need to serve mankind. one example, uh, or w- w- or to to answer the uh, question w- uh, very quickly, is that a Muslim will try always to please God. Uh, of course, he will try everything to get close to Him. And God has said, if you want to be close to Me, then make sure that you serve My man- uh, My people as well. And about serving, we had a, one doctor with us, Dr. Um, Aziz, who talked about uh, his service as a doctor twenty first as well, and he talked about his um colleagues in Gaza as well. and now we have another doctor who's serving mankind as well. Um, we have with us Dr. Margaret N Harris, who is a spokesperson from World Health Organization and has been involved in the organizations response to the covid-19 pandemic. Dr Margaret Ann Harris, uh, good morning and welcome to the Big For show. Good
2: morning and thank you very much for having me.
1: It is a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, Dr Margaret, um first of all, when I read um the, uh, when I'm reading the I'm, I'm basically um trying to uh, get all the information about Gaza from the social media and sometimes I do read the Tajik uh, in news about the killing of one of those brave doctors as well, it is very sad to see that uh, to hear that as well. So my condolence to you as well. To see that one of the colleagues putting their lives in the risk as well, and while saving others' lives, they are losing their lives as well. It's very tragic to see that as well. Um, do you think? Um, I mean, why is it that um, in war, people don't realize? that uh, saving mankind or saving uh, saving also those doctors is very important for, uh, for the people.
2: Thank you and and I do appreciate your condolences really. It, um, our whole organisation is broken-hearted with the loss of this young woman and her husband and her six-month-old baby and this is a thing uh, indeed has been repeated over and over again. We've seen the loss of more than 200 doctors, other health workers um, and the reason in any war healthcare must be protected and mm. must be considered neutral is the purpose of healthcare, the purpose of hospital, purpose of being a health worker is you are there to restore people to health, save their lives as best you can, uh, and those who choose to use the war route as a means of resolving their disputes. Are choosing to do that but healthcare must always be neutral under these circumstances and health workers must always care for anyone who needs help not 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 choose one side or another mm. but always remain neutral always be ready to to help and those who need their health restored to normal
1: yeah um... You're just saying that to help anyone. I remember a few days ago uh, that the WHO has led a very high-risk assessment mission to Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza. Can you give us like a brief condition uh, about that hospital?
2: Yes, indeed. So Al Shifa was the largest and uh, the, the the reference hospital for Gaza. It mm-hmm. was. Uh, it had been with a lot of assistance from many people including in the UK had had developed a very very high standard of medicine that it offered to the people so the sickest people in the people who had complicated conditions the cancers the kidney failures the babies who were born premature they were referred to al shifa But because of the conditions of the current war, and particularly the embargo on fuel, they were no longer able to provide any of their services. They were no longer able to keep the incubators for the babies going. They were no longer able to to give dialysis to the patients in kidney failure. They were no longer able to even feed their patients because the food had been cut off, the water had been cut off and of course also the building had been extensively damaged because there had been many strikes and my colleagues found well, first of all what they said was it was a death zone it was yeah. no longer a hospital it was a place of death because and and the first thing they saw was a mass grave in the car park because the staff had not even been able to uh, to, to to bury the dead with any dead with any dignity that that had been robbed of the dead as well and um, in the hospital, they found that there was masses of medical waste and other um, rubbish in the corridors because, again, it was not safe to take the waste out and dispose of it. Just doing that act risks being shot at, or, or 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 killed, or wounded in some way or another. And um, they so they found that the and the basic. Things that a hospital does, infection prevention and control, mm. using disinfectants, using cleaning materials, none of those things were available anymore. They did not even have any clean water with which to mix the, the formula for the babies, and the baby's parents had long been separated from the baby, so they uh. didn't have access to the mother's milk or anything like that. So it really was a horrific situation, and the one shining light was what extraordinary heroism the healthcare workers were showing. There mm. were more than 200 of them who had not left. It was it could have been possible for them to leave. They could have walked away, but they didn't because their patients always come first.
1: No, this is brilliant. You know, this is why I say that you are basically the real hero. You have made the oath and you are fulfilling the oath, looking after the patients. This is amazing. This, is, as you said, one hope we have there. Um, but you just you everything you just mentioned like, like the conditions about Al Shifa, and uh, it is so sad and it's so horrific. Have you ever seen such a situation before?
2: Actually, no. And and you know my one of the my colleague who led it is somebody who's worked in many many difficult places around the world. I've, and I've been in those places with him, and he hadn't seen anything like it. And so, you know, we've we've been in countries that are in strife. We've been in countries where that are really impoverished and unable to provide much in the way of services. But to de- deny healthcare providers the basics to do their job is really very very cruel.
1: No, it's very sad. Um, I just want to know that um, is the IDF cooperating with WHO to? Um, Maintain uh, d- uh, to allow people to leave Gaza Strip safely as well.
2: So certainly, to to do the evacuation, uh, we do what's called deconfliction, mm-hmm. deconfliction, and you notify the warring parties uh, of where you're going to be, who you are, what your convoy is, and you then. Um, and and you ask of them that they do not target your convoy, they do mm-hmm. not attack you. That's what deconfliction is. And, and sometimes you get an agreement. And during this conflict, that has been very difficult to get that agreement. So quite often our staff have actually had to go about their work, not really with those guarantees at all. And um Taking enormous risks, and as as you know, staff from many all all the agencies are now dying. Um, you know, it is not safe for anybody to be in Gaza right now.
1: And um, now they have decided Now they will decide maybe to have ceasefire for four days. Um, they they saying they're coming close to an agreement with, uh, that uh, with the Hamas and uh, the IDF. Uh, to come into a close agreement and to decide to have a four-day ceasefire. These four days, how crucial are they?
2: It's crucial in order to get as much aid as possible to everywhere. We really need to be able to get aid to the people in the north who have been very stranded and isolated, but also people who are massively overcrowded in the south and they too are struggling to get clean water. We really need to get fuel in to fuel this sewage uh, pumping systems, because they're not functioning at all. We need fuel to get to the generators. We only have about 11 hospitals who are able to even accept patients. And, and saying accept patients, that's really quite a, um, a an inaccurate statement, because what they can do is very limited. They already have um, overcrowding of 150% bed, which, which means you'll have you know tootle bed or people in corridors or people in the car park mm. already, but they are lacking fuel to keep their generators going. so we really need to get the fuel, the medical supplies, the clean water, the food, and as much of it as possible in, which um, in uh, and and give, having the ceasefire means that at least you can do that with some safety. But getting the volume of trucks across is going to be difficult. We've even we've only been able to get less than a thousand trucks over the border since October 22. Uh, on a normal mm. day, you need 500 to 600 trucks coming into Gaza every day just to meet normal needs. But we have, you know, a whole population of 2.2 who've been under conditions of war and are really displaced and and are starving. So the needs are much much greater. But having said that, any ceasefire is a good thing. We want a full ceasefire exactly, because that is the only way that the, the we can really help those many desperate people.
1: And uh, if we have a full ceasefire, hopefully, hopefully, is there any plan from WHO uh, for the people in Gaza then? To, uh, is there any package you have already prepared for them?
2: Yes, indeed. One of the most important things will be to surge in um, medical staff to not just provide more services but also relieve the health workers who have been working non-stop, you know, mm-hmm. for the last six weeks under bombardment, no break, no rest. They are in desperate need to have some respite from this. Uh, so I and also to be able to evacuate people who cannot get the care they need in Gaza to evacuate them to other places. So we we need to be able to bring people in, bring people out. Uh, We have, yes, and we've got more than 15 international teams who've told us about what their availability is and what skills they can provide. And ideally, the ideal situation is to have them work within the hospitals so that they can strengthen what's already there. Um, And we also, of course, have many supplies to bring in. Uh, uh, As my colleagues have been saying in our meetings, internal meetings, there is an enormous amount of work to do. All we need is the space in which to do it.
1: Mm. And um, Dr. Margaret, now um, coming back to Al Shifa Hospital, now drawing from your extensive teaching experience in various health-related programs, how do you see the role of education and training in preparing healthcare professionals to respond effectively to crises such as the one faced by Al Shifa?
2: That's a very good question, and when you've got, it, it's very important in the training is to help people to almost go back to basics because. In this circumstances, a lot of you know a lot of what we learn now at university medicine is very advanced medicine that's utterly dependent on having um, access to technology. So it's really, very really important to help healthcare workers or remind healthcare workers of what they need to do when they we're really basically down to basics. what are the, the things you can do? When your access to all the the technology is taken away from you, and um, and, and but in this circumstance, Al Shifa, everything was taken. You know, even clean water was taken. Even the means to clean the water, like boiling it or something, was taken because they had no no power, no fuel. They were um, completely under siege. Uh, so. But certainly, I think with any training, especially training for people who, who may be working in a, a difficult circumstances, how to deal with a situation where you are really back to the basics of healthcare uh, will be very important to understand.
1: And uh, um, Dr. Margaret, I just want to know also that um, what initiative can you do or would you do now uh, for the overall health uh, to maintain the infrastructure again, uh, especially in a region like Gaza?
2: So indeed, this is going to take uh, uh, a lot of work and support from all the partners. Um, There will be physical damage. Many of these hospitals are are badly physically damaged. Uh, Their equipment has been destroyed, even things like the solar panels on top of El Sheetha Hospital to assist, provide other sources of power instead of relying simply on the fuel. Those were damaged. So we will need and we will, of course, be making appeals, but with all the different um, partners, all the different organizations that can assist, we will appeal to them to come and assist. We will make it. We we, we will do, of course, a full damage assessment and and list all the things that need to be done and where they need to be done and who could possibly do them. It will take a lot of skill. It will take a lot of goodwill. It will, unfortunately, also take a lot of money.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, um, Dr. Um, Margaret, now... If anyone wants to contribute, because you said like uh, it's going to take a lot of money and goodwill as well, if someone wants mm-hmm. to contribute into that as well, what does he need or she, he or she, need to do?
2: That's an excellent question. Um, I think go to your. Uh, you can certainly contact the WHO um, uh, Foundation. Mm. Uh, they are. If, if if your wish is to contribute money, or if your wish is to contribute expertise, um, if you've got a specific expertise, m- maybe look at a health partner, a local health partner in the UK um, that that is working in the areas, so that you can you can link up with them and, and look at what you can offer, um, and uh, and. Also, the other thing we we really need is a lot of advocacy for this conflict to end. And um, we really need Mm -hmm. it to be understood by the powers that be that that the fighting must stop now. There must be a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. Because none of us can help until we have that ceasefire.
1: So this is like a response to the world leaders then that they should come forward and they should end this war.
2: Yes, indeed, and and you know, and, and recognise the terrible pain on both sides. You know, mm-hmm. what we're seeing is a lot of polarization. You know, it's 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 only one side, very one-sided on each side. Mm-hmm. We need to understand that as humans, exactly, we we have to come together to end the hatred that has sparked this, um, so that we can look after each other in the way way we were born to do humans exactly. are extraordinary people we're miracles mm. and, and we should go back to respecting and this helping each other be that miracle rather than destroying each other
1: dr Margaret you just mentioned in the end like that we need to respect each other we should recognize each other as well this is what Islam has said as well that um, you know every life is sac- sacred and of course we condemn Hamas as well what they have done is totally wrong is uh, totally against the teachings of Islam as well so we need to look both sides as well and we need to pray for both sides as well and as I said the, the life of an innocent person is very sacred in Islam it's very holy and uh, God explain, uh, God has basically commanded us that we should safeguard the lives as well, which you are doing as well. So it's uh, truly amazing. May God bless you for that as well. Um, Dr. Margaret, in the end, do you have any message for your colleagues in those tragic uh, um, uh, who are like giving, uh, putting their life on risk in Gaza especially?
2: Uh, And thank you, and thank you for your words. Yeah, I think we, we should all pray that for the recognition that every life is sacred. Uh, and my words are really that um, I, I, I pray for their safety every day, uh-huh. my colleagues in Gaza, and I also pray for the, the thank, give thanks for what they are uh-huh. doing, uh-huh. because they are doing exactly what you said, everything they can to preserve life and recognizing the, 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 that every life is sacred.
1: Amazing indeed, uh, Dr. Margaret. Thank you for joining the breakfast show, and uh, I wish you all the best for the future. I hope you know that all this crises come to an end, and um, that we can, like, we can see a life, a world without war, and we can teach our children that, uh, or we can see uh, these our children can see a world with peace as well. Thank you for joining the breakfast show. I wish you all the best for the future, and hopefully one day we can have you again.
2: Thank you, and and wish you and your listeners very much all the best.
1: Thank you. Thank you, dear listeners. You just listened to Dr. Margaret and Harris, who is a spokesperson of WHO, and uh, he, what she just explained, what she just said, what she have heard of from Gaza as well. It is so horrific as well. But yes, she was right. We should look on the both sides as well. Uh, we should l- consider every human life as holy, as important as well, and uh, we should pray for the innocent. People uh, who are inflicted in uh, uh, in this conflict as well, may Allah save them. And uh, the best thing she she said as well is that this war should come to an end. And the world leaders should listen to that and uh, should act upon that as well. Because there's no good, nothing's good, in nothing can you can you can't see anything good in in a war. The only good you uh, know you can see in a war is the end. And this is what we're looking for as well. We're looking for a ceasefire. Um, and this is uh, what we want. Um, the listeners, also, um, as I said, like uh, it is important that we remember these doctors who are putting their life in risk as well, in our prayers as well. May Allah save them as well. Um, you know, um, I can't say this again and again and again. Uh, life is very precious. This is what Islam is, teaches, uh, is teaching us. Islam speaks about human life in the Holy Qur'an. But also, you know, he mentioned one thing also. That, الخالكين, that so blessed be Allah, the best of creators. This is from chapter 23, verse fifty. Now, the reason I've recited this verse is, or this um, part of this verse, is that, If he is the best creator, then we should be his best creation as well. Or at least we should be acting upon that as well. And we should listen to the commands as well. Um, The listeners, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he was sent to this world as a mercy for all mankind. And he truly wanted to establish peace in this world. And he gave guidance to use them to, uh, to establish peace and justice. Uh... In the world as well. Um, His Holiness, may Allah be he, uh, he is known as the champion of peace. Uh, the reason is that because he has traveled around the world, he has seen many, many world leaders, he has guided them from the Islamic perspective, from the Islamic teachings, the guidance given by the Holy Prophet, how to maintain peace in the society, and uh, why it is so important. We, we are seeing challenging times. And uh, in, relation, in relation to the 7th October 2023 attacks by Hamas, the head of the, world, well, the Muslim community, His Holiness Muslim Muslim Surah, may Allah uh, be his helper, condemned the action of Hamas and said they were completely against the teachings and principles of Islam. He also condemned the subsequent killing of innocent civilians by Israel, noting that its action has exceeded all limits. His Holiness underlined the need to an end hostilities on all sides with an immediate ceasefire, the need to allow humanitarian aid to reach all in need, all in need and for lasting peace to be secured based on absolute justice. The listeners, his owners, um, said that lasting peace must enable all people in the region, Jews, Christian and Muslim, to live in peace and harmony. Uh, also, um, um, he has started the uh, a new uh, campaign called Voices for Peace, uh, where we try to advocate uh, um, to a just and peaceful resolution of this conflict. The listeners, um, as I said, I just want to uh, sum it up in the end that every life is sacred, every life is holy, and we are told to. Um, save life, our life and the life of others as well. Listen, we're going for a short break and after the break we'll be back with a second segment so do me a favour, stay tuned with the voice of Islam Radio.
3: Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. The unity of God is a light which illumines the heart only after the negation of all deities whether they belong to the inner world or the outer world. It permeates every particle of man's being. How can this be acquired without the aid of God and his messenger? The duty of man is only to bring death upon his ego and turn his back to devilish pride. He should not boast of his having been reared in the cradle of knowledge but should consider himself as if he were merely an ignorant person and occupy himself in supplications. Then the light of unity will descend upon him from God and will bestow new life upon him. (imitation) يشهد <imitation> ان Listening
0: to the Voice of Islam Radio, you're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB. Via the internet, 24 hours a day.
1: In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, merciful dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. As I said before, before we went to the break, we will start with the second segment, why the homeless make use of tents. Um, dear listeners, in recent days, there has been a considerable discussion about homeless individuals choosing to live in tents. Now, the legality, legality of setting up tents is under question, and King Charles addressed this matter in his inaugural speech as king. Now, joining us now uh, for detailed discussion to explore the reason behind homeless people resorting to tents uh, is our f- uh, first guest for this segment. Her name is Liz Rutherford, who is uh, the chief executive Executive, sorry, officer of Single Homeless Project, a charity that helps over ten thousand Londoners experiencing homelessness every year. Uh Liz, good morning and welcome to the back for show. Hi.
4: Good morning.
1: Liz, um ten thousand is a huge number. You know, um the reason I'm asking saying that is because we're living in an advanced country, but still in London we have so much homeless people. What is the reason for that? Uh well I
4: think it's um there's lots of reasons really I'm London is um, the the capital of the country and lots of people come here Mm -hmm. um, and um, one of the, I I guess there are a number of of reasons really, one is that um, there's a lack of um, affordable housing for people Mm -hmm. uh, across the country but particularly in London where uh, housing costs are very high Um, there's been a, a, you know, obviously over, over the last 40 years of a steep decline in the amount of um, social housing available for people because it's been sold off and and not been um, and, and we haven't built new uh, new stock to um, to replace the, the the houses that have been sold and that used to be the the main source of um, rented accommodation for people so now the the, the default position is um, the private rented private rented accommodation and um, that's very expensive um, and there's not enough of it. Um, I guess people's benefits um, have been cut over the years um, mm. um, and, and there isn't enough money uh, when people are on benefits to pay the rent that's needed. Um, and um, yeah, so I think there's there's, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why um, homelessness has, has, has increased from that kind of supply, housing supply point of view also just because there's been increased poverty in the country um, over, over, over the years, um, and, and that leaves people, you know, in, in really difficult situations where um, it's, it's extremely difficult to find accommodation and be able to afford to to pay
1: for it. And you said um, in the beginning because a lot of people have moved to London as well, and we see people from different backgrounds as well. Now, like, what would a multi-agency strategy consist on, of in your opinion? Which could adequately deal with both the practical element of homelessness but also any other underlying issues such as addiction, domestic abuse etc um,
4: well, I think one of the you know part of the sort of practical res- responses to homelessness is, um, is is looking at the kind of i guess the most severe end of homelessness and uh, which is is rough sleeping uh, and being able to help people who are uh, being forced to sleep on the streets to move off the streets into some kind of, of of temporary accommodation so that's that that's one thing and then be able to help those people um move into more uh sort of longer term uh independent accommodation um that we've i've already mentioned the need for more affordable housing for people to to be able to 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 live in so to be able to have um access to um Housing from the council or from housing associations, which is um, it, 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 it is affordable and tends to be uh, more secure and of um, better quality. Uh, but there are lots of underlying reasons and causes for, for homelessness as well, which you which which you've mentioned. So, for example, in terms of um, domestic abuse, mm. something like um, forty percent of, of of women who become Homeless are homeless as as a result of um, experiencing domestic abuse from from their from, from, from their partner, um, and um, I guess one of the things that probably would you know needs to have more focus is dealing with the per- perpetrator of that violence mm. um, rather than forcing women and and quite often women and children to move away from exactly. their their communities and and their family. Uh, in order to flee um, the, the 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 person that that's threatening them, um, so that so, so so domestic abuse is a, a a big a big kind of driver to like the like of homelessness, and there needs to be much more effective strategies to try and um, um, I guess yes to say to deal with the perpetrators mm. um, of, of, of 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 violence rather than effectively forcing you know the the the, the victims of violence to be the ones that are to move away um, and uh, quite often go and live in in, in in unsafe accommodation. And in terms of some of the the, the women that 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 single homeless project help um, who have uh, histories of of, of, of of rough sleeping, a, a, quite a lot of the um, the reasons behind their their being on on the streets is, is as a result of um, of being subject to D- 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 domestic abuse um and 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 for for, for for women who end up rough sleeping it's um it, it may it's even more dangerous because not only may may they have been sort of forced into a situation of homelessness as a result of domestic abuse but they're incredibly um vulnerable and uh, at risk of of being um subject to violence while they are being forced to rough sleep so um Yeah, that domestic abuse is definitely a big driver um, in terms of one of the underlying causes of um, homelessness. In terms of substance dependency, um, sometimes that is a driver. Sometimes the reasons that somebody may become homeless is because of their addiction to to drugs or alcohol. But quite often, um, that addiction might actually be driven by their homelessness, and for many people, um, using alcohol and drugs is is, is a way of, of being able to kind of manage uh, the trauma of of, of of homelessness and particularly sometimes rough sleeping. Um, I think um, we have um, we run we run a lot of hostels for the former rough sleepers um, and we've done surveys of, um, of of our residents and and uh, probably about sixty percent of them. Um, um, have underlying health, serious underlying health um, health problems, which they haven't been able to get support or treatment with from from the health services. So, um, I think in terms of kind of a multi sort of multi kind of busted approach to homelessness is the need to provide uh, proper access to health support. And, and we found it at, at the moment that the most successful way of doing that is working with people. In hostels and mm. providing health, health support and health workers who go into hostels and and engage with with with, with clients, identify their health needs mm. and then support them to get the help they need. Um, and and actually one of the things that is worth noting as well was during the pandemic when um, the government funded the um, Everyone In program so that um, rough sleepers uh weren't weren't, weren't forced to, to 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 rough sleep during the pandemic and so all those hotels were were, were open but in a number of in the in number in a number of places um the um health health services and charities and local authorities established um sort of uh, multidisciplinary teams of, of health support for people living in the hotels and that was an incredibly effective way um, of, of supporting people with a, a range of of, of of health needs and really, really was shown to be very, very effective um in, 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 in helping people address you know problems that they haven't been able to do for, for for a very long time. So I think there are a number of things that we have as a society, um, as homeless organisations, as local authorities and as health health services tried and tested already. Um and I think that the problem at the moment is the the lack of funding to be able to continue to 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 use those approaches to effectively support um homeless people and 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 people who are sleeping
1: um so Liz, um you were saying basically um it's actually very sad when you just mentioned uh, that women and children have to live have to leave their house because of domestic violence they have faced. It's very sad. And I think um, education is very important for that as well, that people need to educate it as well. But you Mm. were saying that one thing as well, um, uh, that you're hoping for funding from the government as well. Um, Is there any, if in case you have this funding, is there any uh, long-term plan to um, solve this issue? To completely eradicate
4: homelessness. Do you mean... sorry again when you say to solve the issue do you mean to eradicate homelessness
1: yes yes yes
4: um well i think we need to take it one step at a time i think at the moment we are in a situation um where we've got kind of a a a perfect storm of um a lack of a lack of affordable housing um an increase in the level of, of 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 poverty that 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 people are experiencing uh, significant cuts to um, local authority funding and other types of funding that homelessness services are dependent on. Um, so, you know, the, um, lo- lo- the the London London Councils, which is the you know the body that represents all of the the local authorities, um, you know, has, has, has been, you know we we, we know that one in fifty Londoners are, are currently Homeless and, and, and living in in, in temporary accommodation, um, and that's costing an enormous amount of, of money to local authorities. Something like sort of 600 million pounds a year um, that they're having to see sort of use of their very um, limited limited resources in in order to in order to ensure that people aren't forced to stay on the streets. So I think. I think one of the things that we have um, uh, experienced as a, as a, as a, as a charity um, is that we get um, a lot of um, our funding from local authorities who pay for the services for, um, for, for, for homeless people. And over the last 10 or 15 years, that funding has um, uh, been squeezed because um, local authorities have got less money from the government. So I think that's one thing that could happen that would make a big difference is for local authorities to be properly funded by the government in order to ensure that they can provide the services and the funding needed to try to um, reduce the number of people um, who are who are homeless, either rough sleeping or the much, much bigger, bigger problem of people living in temporary accommodation across the capital. Um, so I think that's, I, I guess, one of the things that could be done very quickly that would make a, a, a big difference to um, to the lives of homeless people.
1: Indeed. Um, Liz Rutherford, thank you for joining the Breakfast Show and for, you, for your thought. Uh, I wish you all the best for your projects as well in the future and hopefully um, we can have a lifestyle as well. And as well, that, as you just mentioned, it's very important that we should educate people as well um in regards of domestic violence and abuse that should yes, come to an end as well yes. i think it will um, help you to, um, to get rid of a lot of of few of of problems which you see uh, by as people
4: that's it's certainly a it is certainly a big a big area yes
1: um thank you Lita, and uh, i wish you all the best for you thank you thank you
4: thanks very much
1: thank you um so this you I was basically very shocked to knew that. I didn't know that people are home becoming homeless because of um violence they have faced, be it physical or abusive violence. Uh, and this needs to be this needs to come to an end as well. Uh, people need to be educated. Uh, this is not normal, sorry. But this is totally um I was a bit outraged as well t- to be honest. Um now we have uh, our next guest with us as well. Uh his name is for that yes so dear listeners, we have uh, our next uh, guest with us as well online um, his name is Andrew uh, Connell um, he was a policy manager at Salvation Army um, uh, Andrew Connell good morning and welcome to the back for show Andrew Connell Good morning, and welcome to the Back for Show. Good morning, morning, Um, Andrew. um, There's uh, one question um, I wanted to ask the first guest, but I couldn't, so I'm going to ask you that question. It's about uh, um, uh, one comment made by our ex uh, Home Secretary Suale Breverman, where she's.
5: I think I I know which comment you're going to give me. Yes.
1: Yes, uh, I just wanted to know what was your first thought when she just said, like, when you heard about that.
5: Well, I think it showed a complete misunderstanding of why people sleep rough.
6: Mm.
5: Um, nobody chooses street homelessness as a lifestyle.
4: Exactly. It's a
5: dangerous life and it's a miserable life. Um, and to suggest that people are choosing it as a lifestyle option, yeah, showed a complete mm. misunderstanding of of how people actually live.
1: But like um, coming that hearing that from a government sector. Um, is it like uh, can we like uh, still think for hope and support from the government
5: well I'd like to think so Um, I mean the government uh, when was it in 2019 made a pledge to end Mm. rough sleeping uh, which was very welcome Um, and although some of the progress that has been has been made but has now been set back uh, by by various factors. Um, So they're they're going to miss that target of ending rough sleeping by next year. Um, But it was very good that the political will was there. We know that it can be done. We've seen it done before um, during the pandemic, which was, of course, very special circumstances. almost everybody was cut off of the streets and into better accommodation. Um, and you know, I've been in this business for nearly 30 years, and I can remember in the late 1990s, early 2000s, there was a really concerted effort by the then government to uh, end rough sleeping and get people into better accommodation, mm. and they achieved a lot of success. So mm. it can be done, but it needs the resources. Uh, the political will is there, but it needs the resources and it needs sometimes the legal frameworks as well to make it happen.
1: To make it happen, this is very important. And in case if it happens, what are the challenges these people see when they um, uh, after uh, like uh, when they come back to the society?
5: Well, if the talks about once people have come off the streets, and of course, coming off of the streets itself is a big challenge. Mm finding suitable accommodation and so on, finding empty accommodation and then permanent accommodation. But one of the big challenges that people have is um, that have become homeless and particularly become street homeless as a result of all sorts of uh, complex needs that maybe go back years. Um, very few people who are on the street the most desperate kind of homelessness um, are there simply because they haven't got a roof over their head um there are often things that go back perhaps even to childhood experiences to trauma to health problems and so on um and that all needs to be dealt with that doesn't go away just because you move under a roof and also of course living on this is traumatic and dangerous Mm. Um, you know it's physically unhealthy yeah um you know we did some research at the salvation committee on uh, the use of access uh, accidents and emergency services in NHS trust in england by hundreds of people um, we found that in 2021 to 2022 um more than 57 and a half thousand times were where patients with no fixed abode attended accident and emergency departments, and that had increased by 33% over four years, whereas the rise in the use of accident emergency departments in the general population had gone up 2.5%. So, that, it's, you know, it's an unhealthy environment. It's an environment where it can be difficult to access mainstream services. And, you know, the, the business of homeless, especially in the street homeless, It's traumatic, it's dangerous, people's mental health, their physical health. People might start using or using more uh, drugs and alcohol to manage and to to endure the situation. So, you know, people coming off of the streets have all sorts of um, things that need to be addressed. Coming off of the streets is often the first step. Uh, And it can take years, really, so, um, you know, that's why in the Salvation Army we Um, particularly emphasize the importance of support
4: Mm.
5: and of relational support, building relationships with people um, to to help them. And we find, actually, that um, actually getting into housing is a good basis. Um, We're we're very committed to Housing First, which is uh, a model that has, uh, I think it began in, in the United States and then has spread across the world. Which says that actually the best thing to do is to get somebody into stable housing as quickly as possible. And then that becomes the base from which they can then work to address all the other problems that they have. Uh, So we're very committed to that.
1: And you're talking about, like you were talking about the support um, provided by the Salvation Army. Uh, How difficult can it be for those who are living in the street to uh, get access to that?
5: Well, I. I would hope that accessing support from us and from other organizations like us can be reasonably straightforward in the sense that you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to get there Um, one of the difficulties is that our services and services provided by you know other other organizations um in a similar situation are really stretched at the moment um we've moved from, well, we, we, we've we had to really concentrate on responding to crises that people are in. So whereas a few years ago, we were doing much more preventive work and much more work to support people, uh, you know, to try and stop them getting to the point where they then become homeless. Um, the increase in demand for services and um, the uh, restrictions on resources, have meant that we are increasingly having to turn to crisis help services. So people are getting help, but they're getting it really when things have got bad. And what we would really like to do, instead of picking up people at the bottom of the cliff, is to be putting up the fence at the top of the cliff that stops people falling over.
1: Interesting. It's like, um, you know, it's it's a very sad situation. Sometimes, you know, what I've seen as well is that... children mocking sometimes the homeless homeless people uh, and I think there's a lack of education as well maybe I think
5: that's true I think that's true there is a lack of education a lack of empathy hmm. um you know and you, and you see some stories and there was a story uh where was it somewhere I think in the west of England quite recently about some children or teenagers setting fire to a homeless man's oh. tent which is a terrible thing and I have to say actually that rhetoric like the rhetoric that our former Home Secretary used really mm. doesn't help the situation. It can make it worse. Ultimately, you know, people sleeping on the streets, people sleeping in tents, people who are homeless in all sorts of ways that we don't see are people. You <laughs> know, and people you know, we need we need to remember that. Um I've often heard it said by people who are living on the streets. Or, or spending time on the streets, um, that one of the things that they find very hard is when people just walk past them and ignore them uh, and, and and look right through them. Um, and, you um, know, it's understandable. It's embarrassing to see people in distress. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Mm, okay. um, but if there's one thing that uh, can make a difference, it's actually just taking time to... A few words with somebody, and that's mm-hmm. often something that people who are on the streets really appreciate.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I will remember that as well. Um, that this last point to speak to them and just show empathy uh, with them as well. Uh, Dr. Uh, Andrew, um, thank you for your thought. Thank you for your time as well. Uh, I wish you all the best for the future, and thank you for joining the break for sure.
5: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank
1: Goodbye. You. Bye. So you just listen to Andrew Connell, who is the manager, policy manager at Salvation Army. And dear listeners, uh, he said it. If you see someone, yes, remember his human being, respect him. Sit with him, yes, share with, uh, some words with him as well. Share your food with him as well. This is what, uh, uh, w- very important as well. Um, dear listener, we have someone on hold with us right now. Uh, she's, I believe, a woman. And she's a victim of domestic violence, and she wants to contribute. Um, Anonymous caller, uh, good morning and welcome to the for show.
6: Hello, alaikum, brother. good morning. Hello. How are
1: you, okay? I'm good. How are you?
6: Alhamdulillah. You actually are talking about a very interesting topic this morning, and I thought I have to call in and contribute to this um, to this um, sure, sure. program.
1: Where are you calling from? Just one, uh, one question.
6: Um, I'm not going to tell you my name, but I'm actually calling from East London. Oh, East
1: London, okay, that's fine. That's fine.
6: <coughs> so one of the things I want to make awareness is basically, well, one of the things I want to point out is you're talking about domestic violence and homelessness. What you're actually um, forgetting to actually highlight here is that not everyone is a victim of domestic violence. A lot of people actually are doing this based on false allegations to gain their legality Mm. in this country. And Mm. one of the things, this is very common in the Asian community, where a lot of females who come from Bangladesh are coming to London, you know, claiming all these false allegations against their husbands to gain legality in this country. And unfortunately, I'm actually a victim. From, from domestic abuse and when I actually reached out to the police for help my husband's gone and then put the false allegations against me of sexual harassment to gain his legality this country I recently found that so he's sad. now in a hostel, he's staying in a hostel, he's claiming benefits, I'm getting letters from, you know, the councillor, he's claiming domestic violence benefit. So people actually are abusing the system. And this is really unfair for people who are genuinely homeless, genuinely need this help and support, but they're not getting that support because people who don't need the support, people who are frauding the, you know, the immigration system, the housing mm-hmm. system and the benefit system are taking advantage of this. And it's obviously, you know, they're putting these allegations against an innocent you know, an innocent citizen of the country of these allegations just to gain their legality. So, you know, false allegations of domestic, you know, for domestic abuse, it really needs to, you know, be spread out there because people aren't talking about it. People aren't revealing what they're going through behind the closed doors. And it's really sad.
1: It is very sad. And it's very uh, unbelievable what you just said. You know, um... I just can say one thing. JazakAllah for the bravery. Yes, well, came out as well. And, uh, you know, um, in the end, you know, um, maybe this gives kind of a relief as well, but Allah has always said in Allah uh Sabirin, Allah is always with the patience. And if you show patience, then remember you have one friend with you right now who is there to help you. And uh, if, he, if Allah is you help, then just tr- uh, trust me, Allah will remove all the... Hurdens all the difficulties from you, and who Allah also said that if someone is my friend, I will be his friend as well, and if someone is the enemy of my friend, I will be the enemy of him. So, in the sense that Allah can remove all the hurdles as well, and He can give justice as well as well, uh, to you as well, and hope. He will give show justice towards you as well, and that uh, you you ha- husband or ex husband I don't know if you still married with him should come uh, should be answered and answerable to that as well. Uh, and remember, after this life, there's another life as well where you will truly see justice as well. And so I pray for you as well. Thank you for joining thank the debate for sure as well, and thank you for listening as well. Um, and uh, yes, as I said, may um, Allah be helper? And uh, always show patience as well. Uh, And I'm sure after a while, if you trust in Allah, if you have hope in Allah, Allah will remove all your burdens. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your bravery as well. Uh, This is very, you know, this this is very, as I uh, to show bravery as well, to come out and uh, to let the world know what is actually happening. People should know that people are basically um, twisting d- uh, the system. They are making f- uh, bad use of the system as well and uh, this should be highlighted as well. Um, dear listeners, um, we have come to the end of the show. Um, we will, everyone uh, who has listened, we will keep them in our praise. All, all those who are um, affected by homelessness, we will keep them in our prayers. We will keep our brave sister in our prayers as well, who just called. And dear listeners, just one thing I just want to mention. Uh, Andrew has said that if you see the homeless people, be nice to him. do Prophet peace be upon him. He always said that, say salam, which means peace to someone when you greet him. This is the one best way as well to show uh, the empathy towards a person who's t- suffering. Uh, we have reached the end of the show, dear listeners. Uh, I'm very grateful that you have joined in today. If you want to learn more about some, you can do so. Uh, you just need to be stay tuned with the Voice of some Radio, or you can turn in tomorrow at the same time from seven to nine, and you can listen to another episode of a Breakfast Show.